Hello, everyone. This is a very special D-Rays Bay podcast special. I'm Brett Rutherford, and joining me in just a moment is Danny Russell, the managing editor of DRaysBay.com, and our guest today, Senior Vice President of Baseball Operations and General Manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, Eric Neander. Coming off what was just a great 2020 season for the Rays, we're going to discuss everything that went into that magical postseason run, the difficulties of managing COVID-19 in a major league clubhouse, and the thought process behind some of the decisions made surrounding the pitching staff this offseason. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Rays GM, Eric Neander. How normal has has this spring been compared to other years? Well, I guess this is our first spring, you know, I, <laughs> spring 1.0 last year uh, was was pretty standard until it wasn't and, and we all went home. Um, I think there there's a lot, you know, being here, playing games, the work days, uh, there's a lot about it that is normal when everybody's on the field. Um, but, you know, spring is often time to, uh, to, to develop the camaraderie, to build relationships, both with staff and players alike. And, uh, I think that's something you, where you do notice the difference is is when we're on the field, everything's kind of as it is, and it's it's fairly normal. But there's such an efficiency to the day, and every every single part of it has to have purpose. You're in, you're out. There's no um, wasted time when it comes to preparing for this season. You know, uh, from an individual's point of view, uh, from a team point of view, there really isn't much of an opportunity to, to grow that and to cultivate it. And, and that you feel, you know, you can go, um, upwards of, I, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, I'll, I'll go a couple weeks potentially without seeing a player, you know, just right. by the way the, the, the days go, because it's, you, you get in, you get dressed. This is your time to, to get your stretch or treatment. This is your time on the field. This is your time in the gym. This is your time to grab your food and go, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just boom, 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 boom. And, and understandable. And it, and it needs to be that way um, to give us the best chance to, to play. But that is the one clear distinction that, that exists. But how much of that is MLB protocols and how much of that is you're doing, because you're still leading yeah. the, the COVID response efforts, right? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of it is MLB driven from with respect to the protocols and the manuals and you know the the max occupancy, just some of the general guidelines that that exist there. But um, yeah, look, a lot of it. I, I think over the last year, the leagues learned a lot about how to best set this up, what's practical, what's not, and by and large, we're you know, we're, we're able to follow those guidelines without too many modifications, but you know, every, every site is unique. You know, the fact that we're a short drive from, from home base for us presents some, some differences in, in the considerations and the things that we need to, to think about in terms of how we set this up and travel back and forth and so on. But um, I'd, I'd have to think the way our camp is operating is similar to, you know, other camps by and large. Um, and uh, our, our staff and, and more importantly, our players have been great uh, with with just doing what we need to do to, to get our work in to play. And um, as much as there are differences when it comes to the camaraderie and the chemistry and, and, and the building of some of those things, um, the energy has been good. The guys are still having fun. Um, I think for for the group that's here, you, you're still appreciating the chance to, to be here and, and to play. And that's that's winning out at this point. Were, were you able to enjoy the playoffs? <laughs> Just thinking about all the COVID yeah. regulations you had. Yeah. Because you're the yeah. COVID czar for the team, right? The, yeah. You're the GM I, and the COVID czar. I, ultimately, I think yeah, about as accountable as anyone when it, when it comes down to it. So Mike, Mike Sandoval, one of our assistant trainers, is really the, the COVID czar, so to speak, okay. day to day. Um, you know, he's, he's the one that makes sure that we are compliant top to bottom and Man, what a task that is. Um, <laughs> he, was, he drew the short straw uh, <laughs> to, to be able to take that on. But he, he's been wonderful. He did it for us last year. Um, I, I think by and large, people accept that, look, somebody's got to be in that role. Somebody's got to, you know, keep us all in line and make sure we're doing what we're supposed to do. And, and we all respect what a what a challenging job that, that could be um, to, to keep the rest of us in line. But, uh, yeah, we all we all got to do our part. And um i think i think we do but the playoffs my goodness i, I don't know he, he, same the same kind of thing that i just talked about with this break the 
when you're on the field and things are in motion on the field, it feels, it feels normal. You know, when, when there's pregame work on the field, when the games are going on and, and there's competition, it's, it was, it was interesting to see you really are focused on the field and you're not looking around at the crowd to see no one there. <laughs> you're not thinking too much about the fact that you're playing uh, the the Yankees and the Astros in San Diego, and then you're playing the Dodgers in Texas. You, you're not really those things aren't really going through your head. You're just you're you're enjoying the games. You're enjoying that that normalcy that that just is there, um, and not without really thinking about it, just where your focus is. Uh, everything else was uh, just so dramatically different <laughs> and, and, and unlike anything that uh, any of us have ever experienced before and um and hopefully we don't we don't have to uh, i'll take if that's how we have to do a deep playoff run so be it that was that was where it was and that was the opportunity but um yeah look look forward to sharing it with a lot more staff and, and fans and, and and community as we go along and that's the thing that i think in the moments outside of the games outside of the competition once games wrapped up and the game's over, the ambient noise shuts down. <laughs> I mean, in a blink of an eye, it's like, wow, this crowd got out of here early. You know, you don't, it's just, I mean, it's boom, it's done. It's over just like that. You know, it's like a flip of a light switch, which is a very different experience. Um, and, you know, the same thing, you know, once you're off the field pregame and there's that dead time beforehand, you, you go out to the field and it's a grounds crew and, you know, there's some music on, but there's nothing else going on. And, and I think, through those experiences to say nothing of the time in the bubble and being at a hotel where it's just us and, and for staff, you know, my family was back in Tampa and we're out there on our own. And um, certain parts of that feel a little bit more like the spring training type environment because you tend to be away from your family more in that. But like you, to, to experience all of that and what was missing really helps you appreciate how important family, the staff and the community, the fans are to just the overall experience of this. And I think that's something that, you know, I, I look back when we won the pennant, when we beat Houston, you know, post game, you're looking around and you're celebrating it. And it's so joyous for the people that are there, but you really, you know, you're getting text messages from people that you're like, wow, like normally they are here. They're a part of this. And mm -hmm. You feel that, um, and it's uh, it was certainly a reminder to make sure that that's something we don't ever take for granted. But it was still a lot of fun. <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I liked what you said about like in the game it didn't feel different because in my memory the Brasso home run in Game Five like it was a packed house, like the crowd was going nuts. But obviously watching that back twenty years from now, people are gonna be like there was nobody in the seats for yeah. that. Um, and then you go LCS Game Seven. What were your thoughts like Game Seven after going up three zero and then? watching the Astros yeah. get back to three, three. Yeah. So I think in the question of like, what were the playoffs? Like I could go for hours. Um, <laughs> so feel free to ask specific we have on this podcast. Because, yes. We got, uh, it was, you know, to go back to that, it, it was interesting. It didn't um, it, have never experienced that, you know, from going up three Oh to, to losing three and um, not, not too many have. Uh, and thankfully we were able to, to win the, the seventh game, um, <laughs> to, to be on our own, on our own exclusive list. But the, um, you know, you, it was the one thing, I don't know how much we fully processed the, the ride through that series, especially. Um, and I, I don't know how much of it was just the bubble was the environment itself, how much was the schedule itself, because it was probably a little bit of both. I think the fact that we had played the Yankees five straight days, you know, for that series off day. And then it's, you're playing every day for Houston. There were parts of that, that felt more like a regular, it had more of a regular season vibe where you just, you're on the hamster wheel and, and you're just going, <laughs> you know, and it's like, that was a very different experience um, relative to previous postseason experiences we have, because you don't have the time to process, to, to reflect, to overthink a lot of what's going on. And, and so I think going and, and focusing on the, the Astros series specifically, you, you know, we were up 3-0 in a blink of an eye, you know, and then, and, and those games could have gone either way, frankly, you know, there were, there were some balls, some atom balls and some things that if they were hit a little way, one way or the other, that they could have won those games and vice versa. And so all the games 
I think had that kind of tightness to it where, you know, obviously the odds were in our favor and we were up 3-0, but they found a way to win those next three just as much as, you know, there are things here and there that maybe we could have done to grab one. But um, you just, you didn't process it. It was like you won three in a row, you lost three in a row, just like it had a regular season feel to it. You know, it wasn't, it, you didn't have the opportunity to think about like, oh my gosh, are we really going to blow this? Are we really going to do that? And like, you know, those thoughts that can kind of creep into your mind when you have the time to think. Um, it wasn't there. You know, we wrapped up a game, we're back to the hotel, we're doing our protocols, we're getting our meals. <laughs> And you get up the next day and, and you do it again. So I think that, that, that chilled some of the, the, the stresses or anxieties that might've come from, from experiencing that. And perhaps also the fact that we were in San Diego, uh, you are very much distanced from, from the coverage, you know, from, mm -hmm. from the environment that, you know, even in your day to day, when you're back home, you're just around people that, you know, when you're saying hello to people, you're crossing paths with people everywhere. There's some, reminder of kind of what's going on and when you're in san diego away from the field there's not you know <laughs> there's not a whole lot of that to it so i think at least for me and i don't want to project that over you know our, our group in its entirety but at least for me it, it kept it into a you know a more steady state so to speak as we as we experienced it all and I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you're asking me that, had we not won Game Seven, I would have had a very <laughs> different answer and and recall sure. the whole experience. When you okay, so to condense the playoff conversation, then yeah, yeah. Can you power rank? So there's three important moments from the playoff run, right? There's the Brasso home run, there's winning the pennant, and then there's the Phillips game. Mm -hmm. Where do those rank for you? I mean, you have a long history with the organization. You've yeah. been here for all the good moments. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you know where they rank or is it different does it not count because now you're the gm and they they feel different um no i think all these experiences are shared really like i, I don't they there's not a the, the the role the the ownership the sweat equity the whatever goes into it from I, I don't they're all shared experiences and i think um you know it I don't really think that that plays a role. I do think the, you know, 2008 was my first full-time year and to, and I, you know, was fortunate enough to be exposed to a lot that season to really feel a part of it um, by Andrew Freeman at the time and, and James and Hyman and some others, but the, you know, there are parts of that. It came so fast, you know, like it was this rapid ascension. It was this world series run and it was almost, it was so fast, at least in my own professional journey that it was like wow like this is great we're gonna keep doing this and like everything's wonderful and then you don't advance past the ds again until 2020 so you, the time allows you to appreciate just how hard it is um and not that that wasn't appreciated at the time but just you know the way the way these things go um it's not that easy so i think the the time helped to appreciate these moments um i think comparing the 2020 moments against one another uh the as as special as those were as well as some others i to me the the brasso moment um that home run was uh, my, the most special for for lack of a better term i think not to to take anything away from the other accomplishments but um the you know that was like i just noted we hadn't advanced past the ds yeah. <laughs> since 2008 we've reached the playoffs we've fortunate to reach the playoffs several times but we haven't been able to crack through that round playing the Yankees and just all the the context that comes with that historically and also within the 2020 season. Um, and then, you know, for Bross to have that moment specifically, you're, you're, you're talking about somebody that, you know, as an undrafted player that is just an A-plus human being, competitor, the whole story of it, um, that speaks to so many people that are in our organization, you know, and and the things we have to do to, to succeed. And... Um, to have someone like that have that type of moment, just I think it, it's it's different than if it were, you know, one of the more prestigious names to have that, you know, that that moment or comparing it to Longo, you know, and, and, and some of his big moments and um, back in the, you know, 08 and 11 and so on. But the, you know, that that just made it all the more special um, and all the more validating to, to so many. And I, I think that extra layer to it, it really and in a time when we're all distanced to San Diego everything else it just 
kind of helped people be a little more connected to, to what was going on because so many more people were attached and had their fingerprints on, on his story. I mean, what makes Mike Brasso such a special player on the field? He, he is the most unassuming player on the roster, on the 40-man roster, not just undrafted, but he is a utility player, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to project like where he fits all the time. Well, Brett Phillips has an injury right now. He probably has a clear path, possibly a clearer path to, to the opening day roster at, as yeah. we're recording. But what what about his talent makes him so special and kind of forces him onto this roster when it's such a deep roster? Yeah, I, I think, um, well, a few things. I, I think defensively, um, he has the ability to fit the club in, in an assortment of ways, you know, that there's the, the staff um, and, and the assessment of him defensively allows some maneuvering for how he best fits and, and how other pieces best fit. So the, the flexibility helps if he's not, he's not someone that's seen as fixed at one particular position, someone that's wide open to doing whatever he needs to do to help the team and play wherever and put in the work to be as good as he can be. Uh, so that certainly helps um, to, to create some different options and, and possibilities. And then I think on the flip side, um, it's, you know, that, that, that versatility, um, the defensive abilities are, are good enough for the staff to be comfortable to play them in different spots. But then, you know, it's, you also got to bring something on the other side of the ball and, he through every opportunity he's had and through a regular work, um, he's he's found his way to to results that have been very productive. And 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 so that I think just there's that cycle where that motivates you to make sure you can find different ways for him to fit defensively, you know, and where to get the work in to kind of have a chance for that offense to continue to grow and and, and to develop. And um any he, he fully embraces those opportunities you know he always wants more every player wants more he puts in the work as if he wants more but he's he, he's all in on on bringing that right energy and that positive vibe to the group that hey whatever i can do to help the team like i'm all for it and i'm here for it and when guys have a sincerity to that and you know they want to play more but you know mm -hmm. you know they want more opportunity but when they truly appreciate the opportunities that are in front of them no matter what they are there's there's some added value to that as you as you navigate these seasons I've definitely seen his work ethic too. It, well, I guess back in 2019 when people were still allowed in the clubhouse, uh, everyone was relaxing when. essentially yeah. when yeah. Uh, people with their credential had to come through. They're playing cards or, you know, they're on their phones or they're watching MLB Network, what have you. And Brasso is at bended knee next to uh, Eric Sogard, just trying to absorb as much as he can from him. Uh, clearly dialed in, asking him more and more questions and clearly trying to learn. And that was true before the game. And then also after the game, <laughs> and I was like, wow, he just yeah. doesn't quit. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. no point yeah. in which I've seen Brasso relax. Yeah, that's him. And it's, it's, it's a, there's no, it's an, it, it's a switch that is fixed on you know? <laughs> it's and all that he is. But like I said, there, there's a sincerity to it. I mean, it's, it's just who he is, you know, there, there's an energy, there's a belief, there's a competitiveness that, that just plays so well. Um, and, and, and people respond to it so well and are more than happy to give him time, you know, um, to, to have those types of conversations and, and not feel like it's a taxing effort to, to do so. He just, he, he's an engaging personality. And, um, and like I said, he just, he, he appreciates the moment. He, he appreciates where he is, the opportunities he's having guys, guys feel that and, and they respond really well to him. And, and, you know, for a player that, he doesn't have a lot of time underneath him. He doesn't have, he hasn't had the regular role, you know, and all that stuff, but he is somebody that despite kind of his stature, when it comes to the on-field contributions and opportunities, he's somebody that people rally around. He is, he is in, in some respects, um, you know, a, a leader of the group just by way of the energy and, and the example that he sets. And to your point, you know, just that, that desire to be hell bent on just getting better um, and how he goes about that. It's, there, there's a real positive effect to that. What was the 2020 team missing when you were thinking about, I want to go back to the world series. We're going to run it back next year as much as we can. Yeah. Great, 
Great question. Uh, and one of the most challenging aspects of a season like that are you have such little time to make judgments. You know, you have a 60 game season and then, you know, the, the total of our season, a quarter of it was the postseason, you know, in terms of what we had. And so um, as we were going through it and even looking back, um, you know, we asked those types of, of questions and it's like, God, what, you know, how much do the, the results and the outcomes of what happened influence our, our assessment of, of that? Um, and, you know, and how much do we kind of revert back to, you know, just our, our forward looking outlooks of players that take some of the emotion and some of the finer details and less the micromanaging aspects of, of looking at a club micro assessing. Um, and that, that can lead you to a lot of different answers. You know, I think on one hand, you could look at our club offensively and you could put a, put something together that, that excuses some of the, the lesser performances, you know, that, that creates optimism by, by some of our ascending talent by Randy, you know, <laughs> and so on that, you know, can paint the, the rosier picture of things. I think at the same time, it's natural to look at the, the postseason, you know, and, and what our club did offensively over that quarter of a season. And you can paint a very different picture and leads to very different questions. Um, it's all a small sample size. Yeah. And it's like, how, what do you interpret? And there's such a weight and, and, and the postseason is played under such a microscope that it is, it is incredibly tempting right or wrong to really lean into those experiences and, and, and to draw, conclusions that you know well against better pitching these players aren't equipped to handle it or this or that or whatever and the reality is it's 20 games and we've seen <laughs> over 20 games against good pitching bad pitching that a lot of you know players have like stretches um and so it's not you know trying to figure out what's being disciplined and what's being stubborn okay, so is a, let me is ask a very you a different way, did you yeah, anticipate yeah. completely overhauling the pitching rotation um no, well, I think looking back, you know, in in the case of uh, to some degree, thought some change was was inevitable. Looking back, um, you know, the the economics of our situation weren't as favorable this winter as they were, you know, even a year ago um, with with everything that's happened, and that that was going to present some challenges that that absolutely played a role. Um, in what happened, you know, with, with Charlie and not being able to, to resign Charlie. Um, and with respect to, to Blake, you know, on that side of it, that wasn't something that we were more than prepared to move forward with the rest of our group as, as it was, um, but felt that it was important to, to be responsive to, to incoming interest. And if some, fairly specific criteria were met in terms of what teams were willing to, to offer us that we'd have to, to <laughs> so seriously you got Godfather. You got, and, you got a Godfather offer. I don't, you know, I don't know if we, <laughs> you know, how to, how to describe it. I think it just met the criteria that, you yeah. know, we thought, look, if we're going to do, do this where we are competitively, there has to be some opportunity for, for, near-term impact and contributions to the club near term being i think the next couple of years not april 1st you know but like the next couple of years um and it needed to be uh players that we had some a good feel for where they were at in 2020 and not players that we hadn't seen in 14 months um and and so 15 16 however many months uh, I can't count, but the, you know, those, those were some basic criteria. So that was something that as I think has been the case over time that there's, there's always an openness to hearing that when, you know, a certain aim is met for lack of a better term. Um, that doesn't mean it is easy. It doesn't mean it's fun or it's satisfying those types of transactions. I've said this before, they're, you, you, they're, they're designed to be more, long-term gratifying, you know, delayed gratification, so to speak. Um, but obviously uh, those are, those are two pitchers that are immensely talented have been huge contributors to our team to that point. And um, with them no longer around it, 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 that combined with all the unknowns going back up to a full season off of the shortened season um, really had us uh, just with a mindset that we need to build depth. We need to, we need to establish options and, 
you know, if we can, if we can do that, um, then we feel like we'll be well positioned to take on all the unknowns this season will bring, both from a performance standpoint and a health standpoint. So, with all that being said, and the, this, the yeah. decisions that were made this off season, yeah. does that make twenty twenty one a transition year? Um, I think, yeah. I, I mean, let's how. However you want to define it, like there is some clearly there is definitionally there is some turnover with our with our pitching staff that 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 happened. Um, and so when a few faces are gone, when a handful of new faces are, are now here, um, it lends itself to that. I, I think some of that might have been inevitable just because of the the season we just experienced and going back to the series and some of that was just going to be necessary um, by way of kind of trying to navigate this season responsibly from a physical standpoint. But, but yeah, I think, you know, we, we did bring in a, an assortment of free agent pitchers on, on one-year deals that um, we believe fit us well, believe have some flexibility, versatility to the roles and openness to doing whatever they can to help the team win. Um, and that, you know, I think using it as a transition year, I think there's some hope that it can doesn't have to be a year. <laughs> this can be something that the transition itself takes place over the course of the season. And if, you know, we have some young pitching that we're really excited about from, you know, Flem that obviously got a look and did a really nice job last year to, to McClanahan, to Patino, to, to numerous others that you, you hope those guys over the course of the season really start to graduate and put themselves in a position to, to carry impact with our major league club. And, you hope that some of the veterans can, you know, can be successful and effective mentors to that group while also contributing on the field. But yeah, there, there's a lot of unknown to exactly how this all sort out, but yeah, there is, there's a lot, there is a different look to our staff, but I'd also argue that, you know, with some of that, there's some increased depth that's come with it too. What is the plan with Josh Fleming? It, are you entrenching him as a yeah. starter? Is he yeah. a bulk guy the same way a lot of the people that you've brought in this year are, yeah maybe they're starters, maybe they're bulk guys. Is it more flexible or does he have a, a set? He's still in his development or we're, we're keeping him on a five-day rotation kind of starter. Yeah. I, I think there, there has to be a flexibility um, to, to his role and how it plays out. And, and, and some of that is in response to just the, the unknowns wanting to make sure you do right by, a young pitcher that I think has a bright future. And we think has a bright future in this game. Want to make sure you're, you do right by them physically and, and you're responsible to, to, to the number of pitches you ask of them. And with someone like him that has had some big league experience, has had some major league success. Um, I, I think it's a matter of, you know, that it's like, all right, how do we, how do we utilize him while still being responsible and perhaps not asking to go wire to wire carrying 190 innings. Um, so uh he's it's something where I think for us in a bigger picture sense the goal is for him to continue to develop in the direction of being a, a starting pitcher at the big leagues but that that might come through some bulk work that might come through some shorter stints to, to help manage um, the physical taxing that, that he experiences through this season um, and it might come as him just staying on a starter schedule you know, for as long as we can. And then we adjust as we go. So it's it, flexibility is the keyword. Um, and I think there are a lot of different paths that, that he could take that as we sit here right now, and given the complexion of our group and its entirety, that would be beneficial to his growth as a pitcher. You, you look at Tyler Glass now, who you can use the word ace, whether you want to or not. He's the opening day yeah. starter. That was announced. He's taking on a bigger workload, maybe not in terms of innings, but with Charlie and Blake now gone. Now he's coming into spring training, introducing a new pitch. Was that him trying to just kind of solidify himself as a front of the rotation starter? And like, how, like how important do you think that is to his, his growth and development as a pitcher? Yeah, I think for Glass, um, I don't think it was necessarily done to solidify his, the perception of him in any particular um, way. I think it was more of just the pursuit of improvement and, and trying to, trying to just to make himself better. Like I said, the, and, and I think, you know, y'all have watched a, a lot of glass when he's landing his curveball for a, a strike, you know, over the past couple of years, it's, I mean, what that opens up with respect to his success is unbelievable. You know, if 
on, on days where that's landing for a strike, the fastball plays at 105 you know? and, and you're getting commits on the breaking ball when they're thrown 50 feet, you know, I've never seen anything quite like it, you know, in terms of the, there's balls that are hitting the grass or anything getting the dirt and you're getting commits on it. And, but that's not something that was there consistently. And I think even, you know, through the postseason, some of those outings and, and when you get to, to better offenses and, and more experienced, uh, hitters um you can really narrow things down with him and and on days where he's struggling to land the breaking ball for a strike you can really simplify your approach and i think with someone like him that has a disproportionate benefit to the hitter and so going back to the adding of the pitch you know so much of it um the thought process and it's something he tinkered around with and and even in the, his last World Series outing, there's a couple of pitches mixed in there that were a little shorter just to try to get something that was a little bit of a different look. Um, just something they could land in the zone a little more effectively. It wasn't fastball. And I think that's the that's that's what's behind it more than anything is just trying to make life a little bit easier as he navigates a season and having a wrinkle that can land in the strike zone with, uh, you know, at a higher frequency than than the bigger breaking ball um, that, that just gives them some uh you know, just some more margin for error early in the count when, when it's all about throwing strikes above all else. So, um, and in the early returns, this camp on, on the, the harder breaking ball, the shorter breaking ball has been positive. Um, you know, the shapes have varied a little bit, the consistency of what it looks like out of hand. Um, I mean, it looks like you know, a slider. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's there, but it, you know, the shapes, they vary a little bit. The velo varies a little bit game to game, inning to inning, pitch to pitch, but Underneath all that, and I think the most important thing is he's showing an ability to strike it at a rate that's much higher than, you know, he has his curveball previously. And um, I think more than getting that pitch, you know, really fine-tuned from a precision standpoint with respect to the movement, the velocity, all those things, just getting it in the box is, is the most critical part of that development and um, I think should make his life a lot easier as he navigates this season. So we'll, we'll see. What is the path to a new pitch for a frontline starter in a modern baseball club? Great question. Uh, it's well, so I mean, all to, yeah, to flesh yeah, yeah. that question out, yeah. all good yeah. pitchers grow and adjust and mm-hmm. try new pitches, or they have James Shields next to them that say, do this instead, yeah. and they yeah. try it and it works. Yeah. Yeah. But with the data the front office has available, yeah. Kyle Snyder has yeah. available, yeah. are there moments where you might look at a pitcher and say, hey, there's a new opportunity in that direction. Yep. I think a lot of that goes on. And, and, and Kyle Snyder, Stan, Rick Knapp, Dewey Robinson, uh, Winston Doom. Uh, we have a variety of people that are intimately knowledgeable and involved with all of the data on every pitcher. And what, what a pitcher's bullpen, <laughs> what these sessions look like today to com- compare to 10 years ago. It's, it's incredible just how much has changed. And um the level of precision I've been using that word a lot here, but you know, from, from grips to finger pressures to alignment out of hand to the takeaway out of the glove and how that can influence the way you come through to, you know, mechanically how things are timed up from your lower half to your top half. I mean, there's so many different ways that um, can enhance what a pitch potentially enhance what a, what a pitch is doing. Um, So it's really, it's opened up a lot of new avenues with respect to that. And it's done it in a way where, um, you know, it's just, it's, here's the evidence, <laughs> you know, what, what are the messages that can get things to move directionally in the way you want them to, you know, with respect to the evidence, that's the big challenge is what, what are the messages? How do you internalize it as a pitcher to get the desired results on something? Um, that's still there, but that's, that's opened up a lot of doors to, in a more factual sense, show how these subtle improvement, you know, these subtle changes can drastically impact your effectiveness as a pitcher. Um, that, that being said, I think over time, you know, the peer to peer conversation, you know, all the different conversations that, that exist, that's all still trust-based, you know, and, and, and a lot of trust still, you know, with, when you have the hard evidence, it makes it a little easier to, to, to not refute that part of it, but it's still a trust-based thing, you know, and you're still going to take your cues and the things you're willing to try are going to come from people you trust. And, and it still boils down to relationships in a lot of the same way, but you know, when it, the, the online communities, you know, and, 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 in a, in a picture that's naturally curious, you have those paths through Kyle and our group here to potentially develop things. You could just as easily go online and, you know, through pitching ninja through one of many different places, 
if you're curious, you can find a lot of different things out there to, to experiment with that, um, you know, that, that weren't around 10 years ago. So um, on one hand, the avenues to pitch development are about as open as, and um, informational as they ever have been. On the other hand, that can also be an intimidating thing because there's, there's so much um, and that becomes more the management. But it's, it's really interesting. But we have guys this camp that have picked up pitches from other, other arms and they've like, great. We don't much care where they came from. <laughs> if they're, if they're better, we'll, we'll take them. And then there's other guys where um, we've, we've had some success firsthand and Kyle and the group have had success firsthand and getting a small tweak to, to yield some impressive dividends. Are you willing to name drop a couple new pitches? Yeah. Well, I say yes. Now I have to, <laughs> I should have thought about that. Uh, you that feel free to tell me. No. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I just some, just off the cup uh, examples, you know, McClanahan's one that just on his own kind of tweaked with a, a slider grip um, and started throwing a slider before we got to camp. Um, and that's, that's been really encouraging. That's probably more a story that, you know, basically, Hey, can I, can I throw this uh, with Kyle? And Kyle said, sure. And I was like, well, that's pretty good. Can you throw it again? <laughs> and, then it, and then it, you know, and it goes from there. So, you know, you have, you have an example like that. Um, and then you, know, you have examples where uh, you have pitchers that are new to the organization. Um, you know, Jen, just kind of running the whole spectrum here, like Joey Crebio, um, Chris Ellis, you have, you have some, some people that, that, you know, you, you get them in kind of some of these more technologically advanced settings um, when everything is being measured and captured and, 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 and you expose them to some of Kyle's thinking and just a fresh perspective that, that comes with that, where the mindset on, you know, Chris Ellis' slider, you know, we've seen that continue to grow and, and, and to evolve based on some of that feedback um, through that lens, Joey Crebio, some of the feedback on the off-speed pitches and some of the things we like and that we prioritize might be a little different than what someone else has um, shared with him prior or what he has been willing to consider. Um, and those are examples that, you know, sliders, change-ups, splits, all sorts of stuff out in, you know, kind of our lab settings. Um, you, you, you make some real measured progress with those as well. So, and as we've seen, the, the players like that can have a real effect on the ultimate success of a season, as is the case most years. <laughs> How's the ball looking coming out of uh, Rich Hill's hand so far this spring? Good. Uh, he's, I, I think, you know, he's... Um, he just turned 41. It's amazing right. <laughs> you know, to, right. you know to, to, to think about, you know, Rich and, you know, even like Kevin Cash and Kyle Snyder and you have staff that, um, you know, aren't that far apart from an age point of view and college programs and journeys along the way where there is, you know, some, some overlap. It's, it's, it's interesting, but strictly from where he is in camp, um he he feels good i think yesterday um i was i was not in their game yesterday in, in boston but um from what i was told he, he bumped up against 90 a few times and you know physically i think things are in a pretty good place for you know it was march 19th yesterday um where he's at so um encouraged that kind of our expectations for rich or that he's done a pretty good job even through last season when he's taken the ball, he's, he's found a way to get the job done to be effective. And based on what we've seen so far, um, believe he's in line to, to do that again this year. In terms of innings pitched or just in terms of quality <laughs> uh, from a, we'll start from a quality standpoint yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. you know, and then, yeah, no, from a quality standpoint in terms of innings pitched, it's, an, I mean, it's going to be one of the big where, questions, right. For every, for opposing yeah, teams, for yeah. fans. Yes. Maybe for is, himself. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a thing. And I, I don't know, we don't know him that well. Right. And, and we don't have any, any experience, you know, with a starter that, you know, with, with what he has under him um, in his, his career. So it's going to be a lot of communication and, you know, learning him, him learning us. And look, we're, we're, we're appreciative that, that he wanted to pitch here and, 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 and come here and we want to make sure we do right by him and, and take care of him um, through this. And, and we put him in the best position to have success and exactly what that looks like. I don't know if we, we don't know exactly how it's all going to unfold. It's probably not going to be taking the ball 32, 33 times and throwing 200 innings. That seems unlikely. Um, but, and that's obvious, but 
you know, everything below that, like we're going to have to work together to figure this out and, and piece it together. And there is, you know, from someone like Rich to, we talked about Flem to, you know, all these different pieces. There's a, there's a McHugh, flexibility. Yeah. Archer. There's a flexibility present with this roster um, for, you know, and, and, and they're willing and embracing of that, but exactly how that flexibility is ultimately deployed. Candidly, we don't, we don't really know right now. We just know we have it and it's going to be important to have it because we're not entirely sure what to expect as this season unfolds. So I don't know. We might look back and this thing is running a pretty clean way for three, four, five months. Um, or it gets weird quick, just out of necessity for how this all fits together. So when did y'all identify Colin McHugh as a someone you wanted to sign? Was that a long time coming or was it just something that came together this offseason? Uh it's someone we've appreciated from afar for, for some time. And, and we, you know, it's our job to keep tabs on, on a lot of players you know, throughout the league, obviously. And so, um, well, so for context, yeah. Michael Walker yeah. talked about this massive binder that was assembled. That was this case study of how he will get to the next level. And it really seemed like uh, a pitch to him was made, like come here because yeah. here's yeah. this giant binder of all the things yeah. that we can do together. And I'm wondering if is that special for Waka or is that something that kind of gets done for all of these free agents when you I, when you I think, target someone like I me? think yeah, I think a lot of our pursuits they are they're personalized. Um I, I think they need to be, uh in, in terms of what's yeah, because what's important where everyone is, what's most important to them what we see in them, how they could potentially help us. There's no boilerplate, you know, for any of that stuff. It's all, it's all unique. It's all personalized. Um, so in the case of McHugh, no, we, he, he's someone that we had interest in last off season and, and spent a lot of time pursuing last off season. It didn't, it didn't work out. Um, it didn't, it didn't materialize that way, but uh, that pursuit um, and the time spent with, uh, with Colin, with his agent, Mike Moy, I think did help set the stage for us to hit the ground running this, um, this past off season, you know, with greater familiarity and, and an understanding of how we see Colin, how we think he could fit us, how we think he could help us, what we might be able to do for, for him and, and, and so on and so forth. So in a case like that, that trail of interest was there going back to um, when he was a free agent uh, after 19. And uh, I think, uh, provided some benefit this this time around so but no it's they're all different and I think you know for us and it was the case with with walk and and with these guys that you're you, you want to explain how you operate how you might be able to to help a player how they fit what our goals are as a team but um, you also want to make sure you listen to what's important to them and, and, and what they're looking for and recognizing where each player is in their career and what they're playing for, both for that season and for the team and their desires there, but for also what's, what's ahead. And um, you, you just try to have open, honest communication with them about those things. And if by way of doing that, we probably have run a few players in the opposite direction you know, because of that, but that's okay. It, it needs to fit for the right reasons. And the guys we have here, we've had that. And, and like I said, they're, they're motivated to be here for, for reasons that align with why we want them here. There's a lot of flexible players, you know, not only the pitching staff, but the position player side, including Yoshi, who's now getting some work at first base. How do you think that helps him fit on this roster? Yeah. Um, I, I think the last few years we've had, you know, G's been over there, obviously Nate Lowe has been over there from the left side. So we've had kind of those, that, that layer of, of depth, so to speak, to just take on the uncertainties of the season. Um, this year, Yoshi's kind of filling into that, that space and in that role. And, um, you know, here in, in the early going, just with G having a little knee issue that he's having and what he's navigating, it's, it's obviously opened up the door for Yoshi to get more reps over there and speaks to when those things happen over the, the course of a season, um, that it, it's just always important to make sure you have somebody that, that can be the next man up and, and that you feel good about um, and you stay ahead of those things. And so for, for Yoshi specifically, I, I think it's, it's going to be important for him and the opportunities for him 
you know, might come by way of playing various corners um, at different points through the season based on the, the health and well-being of our club. So uh, having him over there, uh, I know the staff feels really good about the, the way he has looked um, and, and the work that he's done over there just gives another option for him to fit our club. However, however things play out with this with this unit in its entirety. So flexibility is a big thing preparing for the, the, the unknowns. Uh, we try to try to have ourselves ready. And, and, and you certainly have the depth too. Uh, I was thinking about a quote from the introductory spring press conference that you do every year yeah. where uh, it's typically on the, uh, you know, on the outfield, or I think this year it was a little bit more socially distanced in different ways. Yeah. And you were sitting on, on the, the dugout, on the dugout. It was hot up there. <laughs> that seemed terrible, man. You looked <laughs> a little uncomfortable. Was... Am I allowed to say that? Um, yeah, okay. But one of the things All you right. said was the, the people that are contributing at the end of the year are not always the ones that you're yeah. expecting up front. Mm-hmm. You look at the world series roster, the postseason roster, and a lot of those players were not even like on your radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think was how, how you presented it. Yeah. You have not just a flexible roster. You have a deep roster. Yeah. You had to protect your 25th best prospect from the rule five draft. <laughs> there, yeah. it, there's yeah. a lot going on in yeah. terms of uh, having the number one farm system in baseball, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Those accolades are great, yeah. but you just have a lot of people. How do you make all this fit? Uh, and I mean, I, t- to preemptively answer, some of that might be positional flexibility. Maybe Wander yeah. plays third base like he's been doing late in spring. Uh, Vidal Brujan, maybe he's yeah. moves off of second base. But yeah. what? how do you approach this? Yeah, I think um, I appreciate you saying that about our group and the talent. But the um, I think it's making sure there's active conversation discussion being had amongst our staff about a six months from now, a year from now, two years, five years from now, how could these things play out, you know, and, and, and what are the different paths that, that we can see right now? And, you know, which of these do we feel like we've to this point prepared the player um, in terms of what we've exposed them to, to, for that to be an option, which of these do we want to consider more seriously? And that takes on many different forms, you know, in terms of the people that are involved in those conversations. Um, but you, I think you, you always have to make sure there, there's so much, just the day-to-day demand of these jobs is really intense. <laughs> and if, if you, sorry for the background, uh, uh, the day-to-day, the, the demands of this job are really intense and you can really get stuck just worrying about how to get through each day. Um, but it, it's important to, to make sure we're picking our heads up often enough to, to be thinking about these things. Um, and, you know, with, with prospects, with young talent, very rarely do they develop um, and have major league careers or careers that the way you expect them to almost always it's something different. Some of them end up being better. Some of them end up being worse. Some of them end up being hurt, you know, whatever it may be. And so I think, you know, it's just similar to Yoshi, similar to Brock that we talked about earlier. It's it's making sure that there's as much versatility in the developmental paths of these players as we can reasonably provide for them um, to give them the chance that those that find their way through have the opportunity to impact us. So um, in the most simple terms, that's that's effectively the way that that we operate and the way that we that we do it. Um, we're really fortunate to have the, the depth and the talent that we, you know, that we that's uh, that's in our organization right now um and you know the the kind of problems it's a cliched thing but they're the good problems to have right <laughs> these are the right. things kevin that, padlo that seems want, like but, a, a great problem to yeah have. i remember heim bloom telling mm-hmm. me in 2019 that he was a problem yeah yeah is is he He's, going uh, to contribute yeah, we, we hope so. You know, I think you look at our, our major league group and the group that's returning and, you know, that, that group is largely fixed, you know, I, there's not a whole lot of mystery with that, that front line, so to speak, but you look at the season Kevin had in 2019, um, it, just the, um, it, it, as good an offensive season as I think you could reasonably have expected him to, to have. And, He's a really good defensive player too. You know, he's a very talented third baseman. Um, he's somebody that can help on both sides of the ball. And, you know, someone that I think not having had the minor league season last year, you talk about someone that was, you know, everybody was hurt by that. I think by and large, um, maybe there are a few examples that benefited from the time off and strengthening and so on, but by and large having the games removed, 
for a player's development and also the ability to help assess their skills and where they're at. Um, I think you could argue that he was as harmed as anybody by that to see, okay, what is in 2020, you know, he goes out and it's Durham and, you know, does he pick up where he left off? And I think if he does that, the perception of him, even right now is, you know, could be even more favorable. Um, but we didn't have that. We got to see him and evaluate him, you know, in the alternate site through some of these other experiences, but um, he's shown really well this spring and he's somebody that, you know, like we've talked about Bross before, and that's a little bit of a different path, obviously for Bross, but you know, the, the right-handed hitter that can come up can play well on both sides of the ball, makes the most of his opportunities and off it goes, you know, he's, he's very much in that mix and, and very conceivably could, could have that type of development through the course of the season. Alternate site stuff seems yeah. really difficult to trust. <laughs> well, I mean, so it's you, a, you is, trusted your yes. scouts yeah. and, and brought in hunt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I believe you called him an everyday catcher, which I don't think I've ever heard yeah. you describe a catching prospect that way before. Yeah. And it well, seemed like a lot of that potential was rooted in an evaluation that came out of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when you look at the alt site and what you take from it, yeah, you obviously need to be really careful. Um, you need to be careful with, just freezing your assessments of players and assuming they're going to be what they were, you know, at the end of 2019, you also need to be careful about how you pass judgment on 2020 um, and what you saw. And, and it's just a lot of risk for, for error um, in all of that. But I think, you know, in the specific case of, of Blake um, it's high school draft catcher, um, the, the projectable frame uh, going back to his draft and beyond that, by and large demonstrated um, advanced skill and application of what he had physically on both sides of the ball um, was a, was a knowledgeable player behind the plate was an engaging player, possessed a lot of intangibles that you ideally like to see, you know, from a catch the catching position, the way he works for the staff, um, so on and so forth. But, uh, and then offensively, you know, the skill set that seemed to see the ball well, didn't, didn't expand a lot out of the zone. Um, the ability to put bat to ball was in a pretty good place. Um, and, and something where just the the impact, the, the physicality was something that wasn't quite there yet, um, I would say. It's kind of the read we had on him going into 2020. Um, more skill over physical impact, but with a frame that like, hey, this guy could always get stronger and gaining strength as a catcher um, <laughs> in the pro baseball track, not a whole lot of time to do that. It's a That's a tough track for a high school draft, especially. Um, and so anyway, fast forwarding to this past year uh getting some exposure to him you know uh over the course of the summer and in the fall through through instructs um it was noticeable that wait a sec like physically there's you know it looks like he's leveled up you know with his strength here um it looks like he's starting to really fill out and and, and gain some adult strength you know that you weren't sure some guys have great frames and builds but it doesn't really ever come <laughs> you know? this is one where it's like wait a second like he's starting to to fill out and these applicable skills started to have a little more force, a little more speed, a little more life behind them. And so that was an example where we weren't using the experiences this past summer and fall to assess the baseball skill and the application of what he had physically. It was almost the opposite where he felt reasonably comfortable about the skill and the ability to apply. And the questions were more about strength and, and more about twitch and explosiveness and impact. And um, that was, um, and there was some, swing changes and the evolution of that that were spoken to as well um i think for me the physical part of it was was the most important component to see and that's something that in that setting feel more comfortable about you know kind of going on going in on that you know and the growth that could be had on that side as opposed to measuring this the more of the skill-based components of it in those settings a lot of credit to our staff for for you know being able to do that one more prospect we got to talk about, and he's a Florida State guy. So, of course, uh, yeah, Danny yeah, we do bring him up. I like it. Um, Taylor Walls. We've heard a lot about his defense. I've even heard the yeah. term like infield Kiermaier. Is there, is there any truth to that? Like, what do you guys see in, in his glove? It's it's really good. It's we, <laughs> we are we we are very fortunate to have um, a lot of infield talent. Uh, throughout our system and a lot of players that are, that are good with the glove. Um, I think 
you know, the, I haven't had a lot of firsthand opportunity to see Taylor. Um, but from the staff that, that have seen him, they, they place him the glove at the top of that group. You know, this is, it's a, it's a really special glove. The ball finds the pocket consistently, the first step, the read, the anticipation, um, it's, it's as good as, as you could, you could ask to see. So he's, he's somebody on that side of the ball that he's, he's fun to watch. We got a lot of guys like that right now that are, that are fun to watch, but um, he, he very well might be, be the best of the bunch in terms of just the frequency at which he can, you know, he can take advantage of, um, you know, his physical gifts and, and instincts. So um, yeah, he's, it, it's it's a special glove so we're we're excited about him he is he is someone that over time amongst our staff the the belief in him as a player um has probably been louder from the inside than than the outside so to speak um but and you know another one where i i don't know what to make of the alternate site and these experiences that um, that they have there but i know we had some pretty good arms in our alt site group it wasn't the most competitive game-like feeling atmosphere when, you know, you can't fill out a full defense behind them, <laughs> but the, but the at-bats, the quality of at-bats, the swings that, that he was getting off against a lot of the arms there um, got a lot of attention, a lot of notice. And I don't, I don't know what the alternate site is worth, but would rather see guys do what he did offensively last year than not. But you asked about the defense and that part of it without question is, is special. When I reflect on 2020 and lessons learned or, or how you approach the new year, I would imagine one of the biggest lessons is around the value and importance of having a diverse team and diverse front office in terms of perspective and, and being perhaps a good member of your community or a good global citizen. Did you have any takeaways from the last year? Yeah, I, I think many takeaways. I will do my best to not be long-winded, which isn't going to help all that much. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think our jobs revolve around the game and you can simplify it. And it's just that, but the, the impacts of this game are so far reaching, you know, in terms of the example they are for communities, for, for fan bases, the, the joy they bring, the, the entertainment, the whole, the whole thing. But from a staffing perspective, specifically, uh, the importance of, of having diversity amongst the staff. And that can come from educational experiences, but it really, you know, cultural experiences, we have a lot of room to, to fill in that space and, and the things that we do and what we need to prioritize with respect to that. And, um, you know, uh, someone hiring someone like Denard Span, you know, this, this past winter uh, and, and bringing him on just obviously the, the playing experience, but, um, you know, based on race, based on background, there's experiences that, that he's had perspective that he has gained over time that, um, we don't, we don't have enough of that within, within our group. So, um, I, I think more than anything, like I said, in the most simple terms, the, the, we don't know what we don't know and, and really trying to embrace that and, and, and fill in the, the many gaps that, that exist. And, um, you know, that's, that's something we're trying to do a better job of. And I could elaborate again. I'm trying to <laughs> tighten it up a little bit. No, it's great. I mean, so we're on your directions. schedule, man. I'm sure yeah, you have yeah. uh, important things to get on to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was great to hear Denard uh, on Neil Solon's podcast talk about his desire and, and the joy I feel like he was expressing it was going to bring him to be that kind of person uh, on your yeah. staff who can connect with players um, who might have grown up with the experience of being Black in America, but also just generally... Uh, from a diverse background to be able to connect with young men and have that mentorship kind of role. Um, you yeah. know, Denard wasn't on the, the staff for a long time, uh, but back when you got to <laughs> haunt the clubhouse and, and engage with players, I imagine he might've yeah. been uh, a really fun player to talk to even then. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, just a, a, a wonderful human being that, um, that just has such a, wonderful respect for for everybody you know and 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 carries himself in a way that that commands respect and um just i couldn't couldn't say enough about how much i've enjoyed getting to know denard i mean back to when we acquired him you know and <laughs> in, in that in that transition uh we we 
we spent a lot of time talking that off season, getting to know one another, you know, given the different ways that things could have played out for him as a player at that point. Um, and, and just developed a good relationship, a lot of, a lot of mutual respect. And, and to your point, fast forwarding now, um, all of those benefits that for me personally, that I was able to, to have just by way of getting to know Denard and, and learning his perspective, um, the opportunity for that to be shared more broadly across our entire organization is, is really exciting. And uh, we had the opportunity to get him in here for a few days uh, this, this past week into our camp and just to see him around. That's been a struggle. He's hired, he's part of our group, but it's all remote, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's, you know, someone like him getting him in a uniform, getting him around the group, you can really see, you know, the positive influence and how that can, how that can take hold. So um, just, just an honor to have him as part of our, our group and, and look forward to, uh, to, to just what we will learn through his perspective. And I think what he'll learn by being exposed to the, the many different um, perspectives that we have within our group here. As a final question, everyone wants to know when we're going to see Wander Franco. Is he going to get an Evan Longoria deal and jump into the majors? Is he going to uh, be on the, on the periphery in 2020 waiting for an injury to occur? Is he going to be able to force his way in? <laughs> it's March uh, I know these things yeah. are not predetermined, but what can we expect looking for having our uh, telescope staring at the horizon, waiting for Wanda yeah. Franco to ride over, <laughs> over that crest of the hill to come and save Ugh. the day? Ugh. The expectations, the expectations. The, they are we sky got, high. We, we, have, we have a lot of really talented young players that we're excited to see. I also understand and appreciate why he's often at the, at the top of the list for, for people. So um, like many, it, it'd be really nice to have games you know, to further assess the, the readiness. We do our best to assess it in, you know, the, the, what's been given to us and what's available to, to take a look at players, but there's, there's just no substitute for games and we'd love to have that feedback, but you know, in a case like Wander, you know, this is someone that just turned 20 years old that has the attention of so many on him and has carried that. Um, there's a lot of other things while we wait for games, you know, to provide that additional feedback. There's a lot of other things that in a case like this specifically, that can, we can continue to work and to develop, you know, mentally, emotionally, how he carries himself being a professional. When you have all that attention on you, it's a different, that's a different challenge than, than many prospects um, have. And so um, have been really encouraged by uh, the way Wander has continued to mature and, and, and grow up the opportunity around our team in the postseason as a taxi squad member last year, I think was as beneficial to him as anybody um, to see that experience firsthand and to see what these established major league players do on a daily basis. I mean, you, there were a lot of drawbacks to last year, but that opportunity that was afforded to young players like him, it's a once in a lifetime experience, you know, before you hopefully are doing that yourself um, on the active roster. So um, I think the way I've, what I've said anytime anyone's asked about this is we're, we're hoping he makes an impact this year. We're, we're rooting for that, you know, to happen because I think that means things are going in a good direction for him. Uh, so we'll, we'll continue to do that, but you know, you, you really, it's a special talent. We all know that that's not lost on anybody. You want to make sure that you do everything you possibly can to, to give him the foundation he needs to realize his potential to the fullest. And, um, I think we've had a lot of staff that have invested a lot of time in him and many others that are really, uh, pointing that in the right direction. And, um, yeah, no, he's, he's a big reason that we're optimistic about what's ahead, but. Yeah, well, if you need games for that assessment, I, how does the I delay walked, to the minor yeah. league season yeah. affect your yeah. uh, your assessment, right? Yeah, and look, we're clearly going to, I mean, I would assume before minor league season starts, we're going to need players and <laughs> things are going to happen. Uh, there yeah. will be some attrition with our roster, naturally. Um, so, no, you, I mean, you, you have to, the opportunity to get them into some spring games, get them around it, and, you know, probably get them in a few more here before we wrap up. That's certainly helpful, you know, and, and provide some insight. But even, you know, the spring environment is not the competitive um, environment that even in minor league games during the regular season you're going to experience. So, um, I think it's one of those, we are for him, for many players we've talked about, you're, please give us games, you know, let's give these guys the opportunity to go play games where, you know, their, their production, the results are on a scoreboard, you know, and that there's a very visible accountability to what they're doing. Um, 
that that's really important. So we'll be rooting for that. But in the meantime, we've got to do our best to be prepared for that not being there and making sure we can still make educated decisions. So uh, I'm glad we have them. Um, but uh, yeah, we got to we got to make the most informed decisions we have with whatever's in front of us, which is less right now than what we've grown used to. But we'll be OK. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for your time. It was great kind of discussing this and it's going to be an exciting season. I hope so. I hope so. Well, that's going to do it for our D-Rays Bay podcast special. Thank you to everyone who listened. And once again, thank you to Eric Neander for joining us on the podcast today and giving us so much of your time. As always, make sure to head on over to DRaysBay.com to check out all of the great spring training coverage. We are right around the corner from opening day, and the coverage is going to continue to ramp up on the site as we get closer to the regular season. So, once again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you guys soon.